Hounicon. 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 You're listening to Hounicon Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Hounicon Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Paige Willett. This month's episode introduces a CPN member who owns her own Native American architecture company, outlines the nation's new Adult Protective Services Department, and discusses home genealogical DNA testing kits that became popular in the last decade. We'll also learn astronomy words in Potawatomi. Anishinaabe Design Incorporated brands itself as architecture, planning, and interior design for the Native American community. As one of two architectural firms owned by CPN member Cheryl Lockstone and her husband, Barrett Williamson, they focus their attention on design and construction for tribal buildings and projects. Their office sits at Asp Avenue and Boyd Street on the University of Oklahoma's campus corner in Norman. My husband calls it the center of the universe because we have uh, the premier balcony on the corner of both Starbucks, so we get to have wonderful game days, so we're big OU fans. Lockstone started Anishinaabe Design in 2008 after deciding to combine her artistic creativity with her husband's architectural background. She previously worked full-time as a painter, exhibiting and selling her work in juried shows from Arizona to Michigan in the early 2000s. They officially established Anishinaabe Design after a satisfying relationship rehabilitating the Pawnee Nation College Dining Hall in Pawnee, Oklahoma. The Pawnee tribe is a celestial tribe. And so whenever they left Nebraska and they came to Oklahoma, they came with their star chart on a buffalo hide, which that buffalo hide now is in the Field Museum in Chicago. So we went and we visited the Field Museum and we saw the display that they had there and we saw their items, their ceremonial items that were important to them. And then one of the people that was on the board at the Pawnee Nation, an elected position in their government, his grandfather was the one that actually carried the hide from Nebraska to Oklahoma. So we wanted to invoke some type of celestial element into the dining hall, but at that point we had kind of ran out of money in the building fund, so everyone from the office went on a Saturday, and we spent the night, and we spent two days painting the ceiling of the Pawnee Nation uh, dining hall, and it reflected their star chart. Every project since focuses on expressing what makes each tribe special. While traveling and exhibiting artwork, Lockstone noticed one style seemed to represent all Native American communities, including architecture in Oklahoma. In my travels across the Southwest and in some of the earlier architecture, the Native architecture that I saw in Oklahoma, I saw a lot of Southwest influence, and I was like, we are not a Southwest-influenced area. We're Plains tribes here. And I didn't feel like a lot of the buildings were infusing the culture of each tribe because they're each distinct in their own way. And they each have their own culture. They each have their own identity and their language. 
and customs and things that are important to them, so we wanted to make sure that those were infused in the building. As an architect, her husband enjoys the challenges of restoration and rehabilitation, and he builds his reputation around them. Besides the Pawnee Nation Dining Hall, their firm recently repurposed the Casablanca Building on the OU campus into the Chickasaw Nation Student Services Center. Originally a sorority house built in 1925, the tribe reimagined it as a home away from home. And so we made it so that it was it was comfortable and they felt in a home environment. So there's there's a living room, there's like a coffee area, there are two separate dining rooms, there's a small catering kitchen. And then from that we go into a computer lab so that they don't have to bring their own computers. There is a library. Uh, we have spaces there that they can have classes so that they can learn beadwork or anything about their heritage, any type of programming that the Chickasaw Nation wants to do to bring their students closer to their heritage. Then we tried to make a space available within that building to do that. Work began in 2018, and they preserved the original fabric of the building, including refinishing and reusing the original wood windows. Oh, I've always loved that building, and people in Norman especially have a strong sense of that building and a lot of ownership towards it. So everyone was excited to finally see the Chickasaw Nation come in and restore that building. Lockstone and Williamson also submit their qualifications for consideration for tribal projects funded by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development's Indian Community Development Block Grant Program. Applications for ICDBGs outline what services the structure provides to the tribal community. We've done a lot of service type projects. We have done uh, education projects. We've done museums. We did the Cultural Heritage Center for the Wichita and affiliated tribes, you know, food distribution centers, housing, all of those things. I love that the tribes are giving back to their people and they're making either their cultural information readily available for their tribal members or they're providing them with some type of a service. Currently, they are working on an expansion of an Indian Health Services Clinic near El Reno, Oklahoma, with the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes. With primary construction set for completion in fall 2021, the new facility expands provider services and offers radiology, pharmacy, dentistry, and more in 16,000 square feet, significantly larger than the one destroyed by a tornado in spring 2013. That's very gratifying to me that we are able to give back in that sort of way. So yes, we are in business, but whenever we're doing things that are actually helping people, um, that gives me the feel goods. You know, I love doing projects like that. Anishinaabe Design also conceptualized single-family homes for CPN Housing Department's new Lease Purchase Home Ownership Program. Participants sign a three-year lease agreement with the possibility of home ownership by meeting a series of criteria. Throughout the last decade, working with tribes across Oklahoma and learning their customs taught Lockstone how to engage uniquely with them and made her more appreciative of her own. 
I just encourage everyone um, that is a tribal member of whatever tribe that you are part of to just be part of your cultural heritage. Visit Anishinaabe Design on the web at AnishinaabeDesign.com. That's A-N-I-S-H-I-N-A-B-E Design.com. For more information on the CPN Housing Department Home Ownership Program, visit cpn.news backslash homeowner or cpn.news backslash housing. When looking at protective service programs such as Indian Child Welfare and Family Services, one group often left out of the conversation is elderly adults. Adult protective service programs are underfunded and sparse throughout the country, and Citizen Potawatomi Nation has recently been awarded a grant to fund its own APS program for the next three years. Talking with me today are APS Department Director Janet Draper and Case Manager Brian Moore. Well, during the past 22 years that I've worked for the tribe as the Indian Child Welfare Director, uh, over the years I've been asked to, to go and investigate instances of adults that needed protective services. And so last year, Ms. Caps and I were sp talking about this problem that's in the community now about the elder abuse. And so uh, I wrote a grant along with Brad Peltier, and we were awarded that grant, and it begins January the 1st of 2020, and we're really excited about it. So what kind of challenges for starting this APS program do you foresee, and particularly when it comes to relationships with um, state and other federal departments as well. Well, I went through the uh, training for Adult Protective Services with the state of Oklahoma in Norman, Oklahoma. And after going through that academy, I decided that the tribe needed an MOU with the state of Oklahoma. So when the uh, Adult Protective Services program for the state was called, and if they had a native person, they would contact us immediately and we would be able to provide services to them. So that MOU was developed and is now in place. Brian, since you have some experience sort of working uh, on those other levels, what is different about doing this at a tribal level? You know, not a whole lot. I mean, the, the biggest difference is going, going to be the how streamlined this is. A lot of times with the Adult Protective Services with the state of Oklahoma, you're really just stuck working with uh, uh, neglect, exploitation, and abuse. Uh, with here, we're able to provide all sorts of assistance to our elders, not just investigating those particular crimes, but we can also just provide assistance to them when they're just needed here. It's just nice being able to take that extra step instead of just focusing just on the crimes. We're actually being able to focus on the individual and give them the help that they need. Does that help having uh, all the other services that the tribe has sort of just them all being together? So you really, like you were saying, just streamline it and go from one thing to the other. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's just, uh, it's a, it's very, very, very comforting to see how well each department works with each other and how well the individuals work with each other. And everybody has the uh, common good of that individual to work towards as a goal. So, Janet, tell me about some of the situations that you encountered that make that made you feel like this kind of program was a necessity here at CPN. 
working with the elders in our community, especially uh, Father Murphy, uh, just knowing that there's elders there that are alone. They don't have family members or the family members live out of state. And with this new program, we are going to be able to go to each of those tribal members and or their spouses and or any other natives that are living in our Father Murphy housing and our housing uh, that the tribe has to offer for elders and be able to focus on them and check on them and be another set of eyes on our elders to make sure they're getting all the services that they need and we're going to be able to answer questions that they might be able might have you know it's about social security medicare medicaid uh brian is has a lot of expertise in that area so i'm learning a lot uh as we go along and we're I, I feel like we're ready to move forward once the grant is approved and we're let loose on it. It's going to be an exciting new program. So talking a little bit about your expertise, Brian, what makes Adult Protective Services cases different from ICW and just sort of what some of those problems look like that elderly people encounter that maybe children don't. One of the biggest differences is the fact that we're dealing with adults versus children. Children are basically dependent on everyone else to make a decision for them. Uh, adults, just through our Constitution of the United States, has the free will to make every bad decision they want to make, or good decision. Um, and so where we have to find that little line that uh, to cross is basically find out if they have capacity, if they're able to make decisions and they understand the mistakes that they're making or the choices that they're making, um, and that's fine. But is when they start making choices that are detrimental to their health and they don't understand that, that's where we kind of step in and kind of guide them along or help them along or do what we need to to uh, make sure that we are going to provide a safe environment for them. Um, oftentimes, uh, with children, uh, you kind of have to keep a a little bit of open mind of what they want, but with an adult, you really need to, because, you know, like I said before, they, they have constitutional right to, uh, self-determination. And so we need to be respectful of that. And also the different cultures within our elders, uh, every tribe has a little bit different beliefs. Uh, even non-native members have different beliefs and you always want to take everybody's personal beliefs in consideration. And, um, so we have to be respectful all around. Um, Janet, what are some things that you have seen over the last two decades handling some of these that you are ready to tackle full force now? Things that I've seen that that come to mind the most is uh, the elders that are being exploited by their own relatives. Uh, usually it's grandchildren or they're getting their medications stolen what pain medicines that they have are stolen. And then they're going to be the last people to report that they've been taken advantage of. And that goes back to they're an adult. And it's embarrassing for them to say, hey, I've been swindled out of thousands of dollars or my grandchild has taken my money. I don't have money now for food or medication. And, and it's sad and it goes on every day. And unfortunately, it, it happens within the uh, Citizen Potawatomi Nation community, 
And it's sad. And I want them to know, our elders to know, that there is someone they can call, that they can trust to help them solve this problem. And it may just be a lot of times uh, a caregiver, they don't know how to be a caregiver properly. So that could be a problem and that we can help resolve that problem with just a little bit of training or someone else that understands and which is exciting about the grant also in that we wrote into the grant uh, that was approved by the feds is that we're going to be able to provide respite care to individuals who for the caregiver even that just needs a, a night off because taking care of an elderly person is a 24-hour-a-day job most of the time. And they are a forgotten part of our community. So speaking of the grant, um, what else does the grant cover? Anything within supportive services that we believe and that we can document will be uh, provided to our elders uh, to protect them, to keep them safe. Uh, we also wrote in for and requested and received authorization to purchase a, a ADA van. So we're going to be able to transport them to doctor's appointments or to, to visit someone or to go shopping. So we want to be able to provide that service to the ones that can just pick up the phone and say, I want to go to Walmart or something like that. Because that stuff is exciting and important to them. Of course, that's a, that's a bit of independence given back to yes. them. Uh-huh. Um, so how do other tribes process and investigate potential you know, elder abuse cases and, and other cases that APS covers? I'm going to let Brian answer that. He's dealt as a past state employee APS. He's dealt more with the tribes than I have in this area. Yeah, usually with uh, most tribes, they will go through the state of Oklahoma through OKDHS and uh, have them work those particular cases. Um, having said that, um, there are tribes around locally that are wanting to work with us. Uh, I think that all together, if we can get all the tribes around here to work, we're willing to work with anybody because we're just wanting to help as many people as we can. Um, but it, like we said earlier, this is in, in its infancy, so... Uh, the possibilities are large. Uh, we're going to take everything incrementally and step by step. We'll we'll be able to get where we need to do where we need to be to help everybody out, every tribal member around. So, why should tribal citizens and employees be excited about this new service? Well, I think the biggest reason they should be excited is because we all have elderly relatives, all of us, um, and there's always questions. Well, why? don't they have this or why can't they get that? You know, or I wished I could take care of them, but I got to work, you know, I've got to do this and I have a family. So all of the people that we've come across so far in getting this program started has been excited. And it it's extremely exciting because it shows that the Potawatomi Nation is concerned for all of its citizens. And the realization that this problem exists in our own backyard uh but the Potawatomi Nation is going to step up as always and and take care of the problems within their community so that everybody is proud and and excited and I I think that there will not be a problem at all in in sustaining this grant after the funding is over I think the tribe will see 
the progress and the importance of it, and our elders are excited for it. For more information about the community service programs CPN offers, visit cpn.news backslash community. It's time for learning language when CPN Language Department Director Justin Neely teaches songs, phrases, stories, and more. Today's lesson introduces astronomy words in Potawatomi, along with some traditional stories and beliefs. Today we're going to talk a little bit about astronomy words or sky words. And with a lot of these constellations and things, there's sometimes some background information that we're going to share as well, uh, some cultural information about those, those constellations. Nkok Kinjiget, an astronomer. Nkok Kinjiget. Nagos, star. Nagos. Genwa Nagos. Genwa Nagos is a comet. Kwe Nagos, Venus. Kwe Nagos. And Venus is a, a star that we actually held in high regard. We actually have a, a morning star ceremony. And when we talk about that that morning star, that's the star we're actually referencing. And during certain times of the year, about about 2 a.m. or 3 a.m., that star becomes visible. Ojik Nagos, Fisher Star Constellation, Ojik Nagos. And the fisher is actually kind of like a little weasel. I remember I used to think it was some kind of bird in my mind, but it's not. It's like a little weasel. Um, There's actually a story about the fisher, and basically what happened was he actually helped their bring spring to the people. Um, he was able to get into the sky, and then he had to he had to um, kind of break this hole open so that the spring could come through every year, and, and that's why you, you see him up there in, in the night sky today. Kind of that's where he was placed by the creator, kind of as a reward, if you will, or kind of just to re- memorialize him in a sense. And that was Ojik Nagos. Wasnode, Northern Lights, Wasnode. The northern lights, they say that when you look, you see the northern lights in the distance, that's our ancestors uh, on the other side kind of dancing and celebrating. They say once you've completed that, that journey to the other side that you know, you'll be greeted by all your relatives and family and they'll be over there. And that's kind of them over there celebrating. That's our Wasnode, the northern lights. Wankwe Gijuk. Wankwe Gijuk is the hole in the sky. And the hole in the sky is, is the constellation Placides, I believe is what it's called in English. And they say that traditionally that that hole, there's actually a, a portal, if you will, or like kind of a gateway between this realm and then the spirit world or, or heaven, if you will. And that opening right there, that Wankwe Gijuk, that hole in the sky. Jibe Miao is the Milky Way. Jibe Miao. Uh, and that literally means the spirit path. And when a person passes on, they say that, you know, traditionally it takes four days for a person's spirit to pass over. And a lot of times because of that, they'll have a fire for four days for that person. But when a person is traveling uh, on that path to the to the spirit world, if you will, uh, traditionally they believe that they travel along that Milky Way, that Jibe Miao. Gizus, sun, Gizus, Waseya, sunshine. Waseya, Bagejmo, sunset, Bagejmo, Moken, sunrise, it is, Moken, Debuck moon, Debuck 
Gijgate, moonlight, Gijgate. Nokmas, grandmother moon, Nokmas. And the word Nokmas literally is, is my grandmother. But when we talk about the grandmother like that, we're kind of personifying her as, a, as like a relative. Um, the same way sometimes people will call the sun Misho or Mishoma's grandpa. But the, the, the moon has always been indicated uh, as something with women. We don't actually say the word for moon. We just say Nokmas, grandmother, Nokmas. Gijuk, sky. Gijuk, Beshanok, stripes in the sky. Beshanok. And that's talking about the clouds, how you have like a line of clouds uh, in the sky during certain weather uh, phenomenons, if you will. Beshanok. Debuckizus Oset. Debuckizus Oset. Astronaut. Literally one who walks on the moon. Debuckizus Oset. Wowye Gizus. A full moon. Wowye Gizus. When it came to the, the stars and our environment, uh, our people always paid a lot of attention to the things around them. And, and stars oftentimes were indicators of periods of time passing, maybe from the spring to the, to the summer or from the winter months into the spring. Um, also, our moons, we looked at different moons as different times of period. We ran on a 13-moon cycle, uh, where in English, you know, it's 12 months, but we actually had 13 different moons. So we definitely paid attention to our environment, paid attention to the sky, if you will, for indications of even things like changing weather. You know, you can see like looking at the moon, you see like um, a glow kind of behind it, and that's sometimes an indication that the weather's getting ready to change. So we're very cognizant of our environment in that way. So when you look at the night sky tonight, uh, maybe keep in mind that this is something that your ancestors also did hundreds of years ago. For more information about opportunities with language, including self-paced classes, visit cpn.news backslash language. You can find an online dictionary at potawatomidictionary.com, as well as videos on YouTube. Just search CPN Haunikon. There are also Potawatomi courses on the language learning app, Memorize. Home genetic testing kits have become more and more popular. They attempt to help users narrow down the regions of the world their family comes from and put together an ancestry profile based on DNA. However, there have been concerns regarding accuracy and representation, especially when it comes to Native Americans. CPN Public Information Communications Coordinator Mary Belzook has previously written about the subject for the Hanukkah newspaper and sat down with me to discuss what she learned. So folks will receive their kits in the mail, and then what they do is they, you know, put in their spit sample or however it is that that company obtains the DNA, and the DNA is sent off. And then those companies, they digitize the DNA to where they can find a data set. And once they have that data set, they cross-analyze that to what they have kind of on their master set. And that's how they determine where folks are from, where their ancestors are from. But the problem is those kind of base data sets vary from company to company. So depending on who you choose to go through or if you choose to go and get a DNA test through like 23andMe or Ancestry.com or something like that, you can have different results from different places just because what they have on file isn't exactly what's on file somewhere else. 
So why do people turn to these kits so much, specifically for finding connections to indigenous communities? Well, I think all of us kind of want to know, where did we come from? Where were our ancestors? What what makes us who we are? And I think that that's just something natural. But it is a question I get quite often from my friends is, you know, how do I prove I'm a part of a tribe by doing a DNA test? Mm-hmm. And I just simply tell them that you just, you can't do it. It doesn't work out that way. But that doesn't mean that you can't go out and do your own research on your own and to figure out who you link up to and how, and even just going to the tribe that you think you might be a part of. Ask questions. Learn more about them. You can be an advocate. You can be involved in the community and not necessarily be a citizen of that community. You can you can uplift Indian country. So 23andMe says that their tests look at the globe divided into 1,500 or more regions and goes back thousands of years. What makes Native Americans unique when considering that global placement and tracing that lineage back that far? I'm not an expert on any specific companies or how they formulate their reports, but I guess what makes us unique is the fact that most of these companies use data that is European-based. They may have a few genetic markers that they have set aside for other areas, but a lot of times it is almost entirely based on European data. And as for tracing our lineage, there just comes a point where there's no written record left, and you have to rely on oral traditions even um, to know more about where you come from if you're a Native person. Um, Europeans have been keeping records for a really long time, so I could see where that data set would be, um, you know, it's easier to go and capture that and to know with more certainty, not 100% certainty, that, you know, you can trace back to those regions in those those years. But it's just very, very hard for Native Americans to do that. What other resources provide a more accurate way of looking into Native American ancestry then? Um, I think one really good way is to start out is to go out to that tribe that you think that you have links to. And they will hopefully have resources to help you out, like Carrot Citizen Potawatomi Nation. We have really knowledgeable staff that are happy to help anybody work on their family trees and to find where they link up and to do that research. And sometimes also you need that other person there to even help walk you through. How do you look at some of these old books to find some of the data? Or And when I'm saying data, I'm meaning like, birth certificates, marriage certificates, things through the church. There's there's kind of a different way about going and looking up those things, but having a someone who is very trained in that and knowledgeable is so helpful. But another resource that's really good is a lot of the different online um, websites that exist that you can go on and start building your family tree. And you can also connect with other people too, and you can do research on there as well and find documents too. So those are some really good ways to find where you come from and to have a more definite answer of that than turning in a DNA test to a DNA company. So how does CPN determine citizenship then and what is required as proof? 
Well, to be a citizen of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation, you must be able to prove descendancy back to some key census dates or, or tribal roles dates. There's a couple key ones, and I would refer to actually speaking with our tribal roles department just so that you can make sure that you're getting the things that you need to do if you're trying to become a Citizen Potawatomi Nation member. Um, so yeah, just reach out to them and ask them for specifics on that, but we base it off of descendancy. So if I look at my tribal card, I can see the ancestors on my card that link up to those key roles and censuses. And every tribe has a, an opportunity to make their own decision on how they will classify citizenship into their nation. Um, and I think that that's really important. And it does, it gives an opportunity for folks to make decisions that's best for their community. And our leaders just felt like blood quantum was not the answer and that descendancy was. And now you can see the fruits of their decisions and how strong of a tribe we are and how involved we are. And it's just amazing to see that that played out in a really positive way. Since we're talking about native data here and native genetic data, looking forward to sort of the future and ways that data is used nowadays, um, how could it be used positively for research? So for a very long time, indigenous people's genetic data hasn't always been used in the best ways. And that can be problematic whenever you're going out into communities and trying to combat diabetes and, and heart disease because a lot of that we can look at genetically. But if, if communities haven't been respected in the past, that can make it really difficult um, for them to be open to that. Um, but I think that it's going to take having some mutual understanding on both sides or even having more natives involved in STEM and being on the back end of this and saying, hey, let's let's do some research. Let's figure out what's going on. So I think, like I said, being able to have more people involved in STEM that are from the community could help us really make an impact there to where we have that data and it's used in the right way. And I think that that's really, really key is just being understanding and respectful on both sides of science and just humans and nature. To read Mary Bell's piece, DNA Testing Impacts Across Indian Country, visit cpn.news backslash DNA Testing. Tribal members can research their family history through the CPN Archive and Research Division located at the Cultural Heritage Center. The CHC is online at potawatomiheritage.com. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Our director is Jennifer Bell. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find what you listen to. We're also on Facebook at Citizen Potawatomi Nation and on Twitter at C underscore P underscore N. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A. W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Until next time, I'm Paige Willett. Miigwech Nikanek, Bamamina. Thank you, friends. See you later.